Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We got to come believing. Believe in what? Now, this is, you know, this doesn't mean I got to come believe. Whatever I ask for, I believe, I receive it. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. When we come before the Lord and we're praying and we're seeking him, do you believe it's his nature, it's his character? There's some things we pray and we know God wants to do. God, I do trust you for that. I am praying that you meet our need in this area, Lord. I know you will. I trust you. I don't know when you will or how you will, but I believe in you, Lord. I trust you. I'm not doubting you in this. I'm not doubting your love for us. I'm not doubting your, your provision for us. I'm not doubting you in any way. I trust you. The way you approach prayer often affects the results of prayer. Do you come selfishly seeking to fulfill every want you have? Do you come unrepentant and prideful, unwilling to acknowledge and confess sin? You may even come full of doubt that God will hear or answer you. Today, Pastor Bill encourages you to approach prayer humbly, fully trusting God and His power and plan. God longs for you to come to Him seeking to know His will for you. Desire to know Him more intimately and deeply through connection in prayer. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Verse 5 now says, For there is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so this is one of the scriptures that just reminds us of who Christ is. There's one mediator between God and man, God, the father and man. Who's that mediator? Who brings the who brings the sinner into relationship with God, the father? One mediator between God and man It's the man, Christ Jesus. Who did he do who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself a ransom for us. He took our sins upon himself. He paid our price that what we should have paid, what we should have went through. He went through it for us that that we could be in relationship with the Lord. That's what Jesus has done for us. Verse seven, Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. A preacher is someone that proclaims. An apostle is one that's been sent out. Paul says, "I've I've been appointed to these tasks. A preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He says, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then Paul says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And he's going to go into two sections here. He's going to speak to the. He's talked to us about prayer. He's talked to us about our our stance in the public and how we're supposed to be praying for those in authority over us. He's talked to us briefly about just who Jesus is. There's one mediator between God and man, how the God wants all men to be saved. And so he moves down now to what I believe is the application. How does this happen in the church realm? He's speaking to Timothy, who's going to be set up as a pastor. He's going to be overseeing a church. He says, look, what I desire is the men. Now, it's specific here. It's a definite article. When he says the men, sometimes you see the word men in the Bible. It's just speaking of mankind. But other times you see the word men is speaking of men, males. So here when he says, I desire, therefore, that the men, he's speaking about the men in the fellowship, the males in the fellowship, that this is what I want you guys to do. And I, I, I'll just say this right up front, that it's God's will in the church, in the home, that men would be 
the leadership, that men would lead, men would lead in their homes. God has raised up men to lead in the church as well. And, and we'll see that as we go down. So Paul says, look, I, I want you guys to lead the way. I, I want the church to pray. I want prayers to be going forth. And I expect you guys to lead the way. I desire, therefore, he says, that the men pray everywhere. Everywhere, where, where, where the church is gathering, we're getting, I, I desire that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Paul said, look, I'm looking to the men to be the ones to, to lead in this way. That you guys would be the ones leading the way. That, that at the prayer gatherings, that the men would be the ones. You guys would lead that gathering. You guys would be the one leading the way in that way. It should be the same way in the Christian home. Um, God has given the husband and wife. God's given the husband the leadership role in the home. Um, these are difficult things. They're only difficult because of the culture in which we live right now. We live in a culture right now where everybody wants to change everybody's role. A guy can be a girl. A girl can be a guy. A wife can be a man. Everybody can do everybody's role. God says, no, you can't. Not so. The man's role, very definitive, right? In the home, God's called men to lead. Um, he's called us to lead in a certain kind of way in the home. He says to the husband in, in Ephesians 5, the husband to lead how? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We're to lead in a loving, sacrificial way. Not in a domineering, macho, you know, chauvinistic, I'm the man, bake my chicken and my grits. Not that kind of thing. But in a, I mean, everywhere Jesus tells men what to do, he says, do it like I did it, right? Husbands, love your wives. How? Like I love the church and gave myself for it. Wow. So like that. Love them with love them with that kind of love. Love them unconditionally. Love them sacrificially. Love them to the point where I'll take the hit. I'll die in their place. Love them like that, he says. Look at how Jesus dealt with the church. Patient with us. Loves on us. He don't beat us. He's not harsh towards us. Um, understanding of our weaknesses, so forth and so on. God says, that's what I want the husband to be. That's how I want men to lead. Now in the church, though, God has said there's different roles. I, I haven't made men and women the same. And I don't care what the world says. I don't care what... You know, the society is teaching us right now. God has not made men and women the same. We are different from the get go. Right. From the very get go. We're not the same. God didn't make me like my wife. And I praise God because I wouldn't want to be married to one of me. Um, he made her different, different in her nature, different in her makeup, different in her body, different in every way. God made us different, but we compliment wonderfully. God made those two differences to come together and compliment. When, when the idea came, right, there is in Genesis, everything God made was good, right? He made the trees, it was good. The water, it was good. The bodies of water, the animals, everything was good. And in Genesis 2.18, it says, God looked down at Adam by himself. And it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Look at that, brother, all by himself. The hippopotamuses in couples, the giraffes in couples, the monkeys in couples, Adam by himself. And it's the first thing God made and said, that's not good. And so it says, God said, I'll make him a helper comparable to him. And so the whole God made woman to do what? To come alongside man and do what? Help him. Not to lead him, not to dominate him, not to whip him into shape, but to come alongside. He already had a job. He already had a task. I'm going to make him a helper that's comparable to him. She's going to come alongside him and help him. That's, that's what God intended from the very get-go. And it got spun out there and it's spun out now. We'll see as we go. So men lifting up, I want men praying everywhere. So I am exhorting the men that you guys would be in prayer. Not just when we gather. I, I'm encouraging you guys to take up the leadership of your home. Make sure that your home is praying. You make sure. Don't wait for her to say, hey, can we pray? 
If you only pray when your wife is exhorting you, can you, can you lead us in prayer? If your wife's always begging you to come pray, turn that around. Lead the way. Say, hey, let's get the kids together. Have a holy huddle. Gather everybody together. And it, I mean, it, just, it don't take very much to get everybody together and say, let's pray together. Let's ask God some stuff together. One of the benefits if you do that with your family is you guys will see God move together. My wife and I learned that, that, that me and her would pray about things, but the kids are left out. We need to bring them in. Let's let them be involved in some of these prayers. So then when God's answering, they're able to say like, wow, they're seeing God answer prayer. They're seeing God move in that way. So I'm exhorting husbands. If you don't lead the way in your home in that way, I'm not beating you up. I'm building you up. Take the leadership of that. Um, I, I doubt most of your wives. I don't want to pray with you. And if they do, that could happen. And maybe you've been that bad. You know, uh, you just you can just pray a quiet prayer. You know, I'm just going to pray in silence. But seek to lead your family in that way, men. And so he said, I desire the men, uh, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, he just gives a posture in prayer that they're lifting up holy hands. Um, I don't believe that there's any particular posture in prayer. There's different throughout the Bible. There are times men pray with their hands lifted up. Um, interesting. We always tell people to people pray. You have to pray. Bow your hand and close your eyes. You really don't find that in the word. You find people on their face praying. You find people walking and praying. You find people in the midst of turmoil. Peter about to sink. Lord, help. That's a prayer. Um, you know, we can pray. There's not a particular posture in prayer. You can pray while you're driving. Um, you know, in, in Matthew 5, when Jesus, I'm sorry, 6, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, go into your closet, shut the door, some private, quiet time of prayer. Um, we can be in many different postures. I think it's, I think it's healthy. To have time, I, I've found it's healthy to have time where I humble myself before the Lord. I do need time where I kneel before the Lord, or I lay on my face. I need that. I need to just humble myself because myself needs to be humbled before my God. And so, um, you know, that there are times where we just, you know, there are times where you might, I, if I lay down right now to pray, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to walk around and pray then, you know. But uh, there's no posture of prayer where it's like, when I prayed like that, that one right there, boy. You know, I laid on my side on the left and that prayer came through. You know, you be trying to pray like that every night. There's no magical posture for prayer. It really comes down to the posture of your heart. You can put your body in any kind of contortion you want. If your heart ain't right, your heart's not right. God sees right through us. And so he says, I want men praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, the word holy here is different than somehow how we use the word holy. Sometimes you use the word holiness. It means just to be set apart for God. Right here, the word holiness is speaking of that you're living a holy life, that you're that there's a holiness, there's a purity, there's a rightness about how you're living your life. That when you're coming to pray, God says, hey, we thought in the psalm that we have clean hands and a pure heart, holy hands. Right. So so it'd be a healthy thing as part of your prayer life. If you got some things that are not right, then you get that squared away. It'll it'll impact your prayer life. If you're coming to God dirty, if you're coming to God, say, I'm going to lift up all these knees and God says, I mean, your hands are filthy. Get right first. Go repent of all that stuff that you got between us right now. Um, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, God says, look, my ear is not deaf that it can't hear. My hand's not short that it can't save. It's your sins that are separated between you and your God that, that, he's, that he won't hear. He's not listening. And so we want to we come before the Lord right. And so sin and, and ongoing, unconfessed, unrepented of things can be a hindrance to a, a healthy communication with the Lord. So deal with that. God's made a provision for us. There's no reason for us to walk around in darkness or in sin. God's, I'll wash you. I'll wash you clean. You want to be right with me? Get right. Repent. I'll forgive. And so, holy hands. And then he says, without wrath um, and without doubting. Um, so, 
without wrath, that I'm not coming in prayer um, in wrath. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard somebody mad at somebody else pray. God, I just pray that you, you know, I, I just I just pray you would forgive her for stealing my stuff and doing what she, I just, Lord, help her. You know, I, you know, just that's you, you need to deal with that first. Don't come angry. Imagine a prayer meeting being led like that. Somebody coming with either sin in their life or with a wrath in their heart. That wouldn't be right. It would, it would, you, you can't come before God like that. If you come angry like that, you should sit down and just say, pray for me. I'm not praying to pray for me. I need prayer to get it right myself. So the, the worst thing I think someone could do is abuse the privilege to communicate with God, especially when you pray in public and use it to communicate a message to somebody else. Um, I think that's so foul and so wrong and so perverse. Um, my communication with God is I'm going to communicate with God. I'm talking to my Lord. Uh, it's not my chance to, you know, s- slide my wife an elbow for something. Lord, I just pray you to uh, just, just be with my wife today. You know, just uh, help her to be um, gentler in her speech today than she was yesterday. That wouldn't be. That's not the time for all that. Some people do stuff like that. And they ruin this beautiful opportunity just to talk to God together. That's not what prayer is for. So we don't come in wrath. And then it says it's also important that we don't come with doubting. Um, you know, James said, if, if you come before God doubting, um, you don't, that, don't, that person won't receive anything from the Lord. Um, we got to come believing. Believe in what? Now, this is, you know, this doesn't mean I got to come believe. Whatever I ask for, I believe I receive it. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. When we come before the Lord and we're praying and we're seeking him, do you believe it's his nature, it's his character? There's some things we pray and we know God wants to do. God, I do trust you for that. I am praying that you meet our need in this area, Lord. I know you will. I trust you. I don't know when you will or how you will, but I believe in you, Lord. I trust you. I'm not doubting you in this. I'm not doubting your love for us. I'm not doubting your your provision for us. I'm not doubting you in any way. I trust you. Um, I I come and I'm not doubting who you are. I'm not doubting your your person, your character, your nature, um, that we come without doubting God. I think it, it, um, you see it throughout the Gospels where Jesus would tell the disciples to do something. And then they're doubting that it could be done. And Jesus said, man, you a little faith. I told you to do it. So God told you to do something then everything you need to do it is there. Guys, go, go feed them. We don't have, Lord, how are we going to feed them with this little bit of food, man? I, I, you little faith. You guys, come on. I mean, I told you to do it. You should have just said, all right, let's just go start doing it. Um, and that's exactly what it required. They got, you know, they start doing it and it multiplied. The miracle happened as they went to do what God said do. Um, we got to come in faith. God, I trust you. I believe in you. And so, we come without doubting that we might have effective prayer. And so those are just the components of effective prayer. Um, as we, we're going to get ready to move into the women here, but I, I just want to reiterate to the men, God for us men, God wants us to lead the way spiritually in the church, in our homes. He wants us men to be men of prayer. If you're going to be a man of prayer, it's got to start in your private life. It's a shame for anybody to pray at prayer meetings and don't pray in private. It's been said you should pray long in private and short in public. I've been to prayer meetings where I'm like, I think they're getting all their prayers out right here, right? I mean, this is everything for the whole week. They ain't being prayed a lick till right now, you know? Our prayer life is, you know, we have a personal prayer life when we talk to the Lord. Everybody here married? I'm married. I, I got a conversation I have with my wife that ain't none of y'all privy to. <laughs> no, no. It's personal. It's personal conversation. We got a personal relationship. Now, I talk to her in front of y'all too, but it's different. Same thing with the Lord. There are things I may come before the Lord with in private, um, just naked, just boom, everything, Lord. Not literally, but, you know, just expose everything exposed. Like, it's just me and you, Lord. You know everything anyway. I'm just going to go. Am I going to pray like that in a group? No, absolutely. No, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't sit in the prayer group and have the same kind of conversation I would have in private. So you need to have a private prayer life with the Lord just ongoing. And we ought to also be comfortable praying with one another as we come together and we pray in that way. But God says to the men, I want you to lead the way. Doesn't mean women can't pray. Women shouldn't pray. He wants you guys praying too. But Paul is specifically exhorting the men here that they would they would lead in this way. Leading mean they're leading the way, but everybody else is following, doing the same. We're all praying together. Now he switches to the women in verse nine. In like manner also that the women and he first deals with their attire, how the women dress, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So I know women are pretty and fashionable and they like to wear pretty clothes and do little things and dilly dallies and all that type of stuff. So I'm telling you, I spend time with this. I've talked to some women on this and I, I, I spend time with the Lord. Like, God, what does this mean? What does it mean for us here now? And it's simply this first God's in for the women. I'm wanting the men to lead. I'm wanting the men to step forward in prayer. I'm wanting the men to lead in this way. Women, when you guys come together and gather, hey, I want you guys first <laughs> manner in like manner also that the women, first of all, he says to them, adorn yourself in modest apparel. Modest would be this. Modest doesn't mean it can't be cute. Doesn't mean it can't be fashionable. Um, modest means this. Everybody has seen somebody in an outfit that was intended to make everybody go, wow, that's not that would not be modest apparel. Um, there's times where it's appropriate for someone to wear something that would be a, a woman's wedding day. You know, that's a day where it would be appropriate for a woman to wear a dress that you would say, wow, look at that. It's, a, it's the best dress in the whole place. He's talking about when we gather together for regular fellowship and gathering women adorn yourself in modest apparel that we're not trying to stop the show uh, when we show up. Um, modesty also, you know, we think I think of immodesty. I think of people showing too much. You know, women have obviously. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Women have <laughs> women, women, women have body parts and such and whatnots that men don't have. And, um, you know, you want to adorn yourself in a way where it's modest. You're not you're not putting more out there than what's necessary. Um, for goodness sake, we're gathering for worship. So, um, you know, there, there might be a way you dress for your hubby at home and we at church for worship. So know the difference. And so, again, it doesn't mean that a woman can't be fashionable. She can't be cute, that she can't color coordinate her stuff. And every woman is different. So if you were, you know, blessed in some particular area, then you be be mindful how you present yourself. For most of you guys that are married, your husband can help you out. Um, let him check you over and tell you, mm, no, no, mm, mm, no, that is catching my eye. So no, uh, he'll let you know, you know, running over by your husband. If you single, um, you know, ask a daddy, a grandpa or, or a sister in the Lord that's really walking with the Lord. So, um, but just be mindful ladies that, you know, the way you present yourself is not a stumbling block to other people. Um, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Interesting that this must have been an issue back then, um, as it is, you know, it can be today. And so then he says a few things that are more for their culture. He says, with propriety uh, and moderation. And he says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly things. Those few items there would have, in that culture, those would have been things that were like, wow, really, really, really fancy. Today, braided hair is not fancy. Uh, somebody braids their hair when I say, oh my, whoa, what, what, where do you do? You know, it's, it's, it's braided hair, you know, so 
you know, we could secretly stumble over these things. There are that part of it would be in their culture. That would have been a, a real, uh, you know, there are things in our culture that are really like, whoa, way out. Braided hair is not one of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is what I thought of. You know, I, I know I've been in church circles before where there might be hats that are like, I mean, the most obnoxious almost where it's like, you know, look at my hat. You can't miss it. You, you can't see the preacher for the hat. You know, it, it's uh, I would say that would under this criteria, that would be immodest that the goal of that is for people to be like, wow. Who made that hat? You know, what what team made that hat? No one person could have made it, you know. So women that we be modest in our apparel, um, not show not being show off, show off your uh drawing undue attention. And then in verse 10, but what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. And that being another part. So Dressing in a way that's proper for a woman that's professing to be godly and, and, and it's displaying good works. That that would be the thing that um, characterizes the women in a fellowship. Good works. Um, however it is that God uses your life. However it is that you're serving. That that would be what you're known for. That you're not known for how you dress or what you look. But you're known for, for your good works. You're known for how you're serving. You're known for the part that you play in the body. Um, that that would be the thing that would identify you. Um, people say, oh, who was that girl right there? And they wouldn't say, oh, it's the one with the big old hat, you know, and the, the red belt, you know, whatever. They would look and say, oh, it's the one that serves right there. The one that ministers in that way, the one that's serving and helping in that way, that that would be the thing that would characterize a godly woman. So now moving on. Verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So let's look at verse 11 first and put your daggers down. All right. So first of all, it says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, in the Corinthian church, they said something similar. And what was happening in the Corinthian church was. The men sat on one side, the women sat on the other side. And if a question came up in the service, the woman would speak while the guy was still going and say, hey, husband, what do you think about, you know, it was disruptive. And they were saying, don't do that here. That's not the idea. If you look at the word silence in verse 11, it means without contention. It's actually the exact same word in the Greek. If you look up at verse two, where it says that we're to live a quiet and peaceable life and all godly. The word peaceable in verse two. And the word silence in verse 11 are the exact same word in the Greek. And so the idea is that let a woman learn without contention. The idea is that she would be in a submissive place. So in all submission, which it says next, this is not a popular thought in our culture. Women would say, well, you know, there are women that feel like, no, we're, we're everything's equal. It's just the same. And. Uh, Paul wrote that. It was chauvinistic. We'll look at the rest of what Paul says and we'll come back to it. Um, but he says, hey, that, that, that the women would be in a submitted role. Um, that's in the marriage, also in the church. Um, why does that have to be said? Why is he pointing that out here? Um, it, was that a struggle back here? It was. Is it a battle today? It is. It very much is. Um, it's, a, it's a struggle for a woman to submit. Um, it's, it's part of, it's part of the fall, um, back in Genesis three, where Adam and Eve fell into sin. Everybody knows the story. Um, 
who, who took of the fruit? First, Eve. Why did she do it? She was deceived, says that, right? Says that Eve being deceived, right? That Satan tricked her. And she took the fruit she ate. And then what did she do? She gave to her husband. So in that sense, she led him. She, she, was, a, she was a leader. She said first, she said, husband. She made a shake when she walked. <laughs> she said, Whatever she did, he was like, okay. And he ate it too, you know? But it was a first role reversal right there in the fall. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. If you missed part of today's teaching, or if you'd like to hear more from this study, visit calvaryinglewood.org. You'll find all of Pastor Bill's messages under the media tab. As you've been listening to these teachings, you may have had some questions pop into mind that you would like to ask. We'd love to talk with you. Please give us a call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Or you can fill out the contact form on our website. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you as well. We'd like to invite you to worship with us this weekend too at Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Come join us each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. as we explore God's Word and spend time praising Him for all He's done. We're also meeting midweek on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to get here in person, you can still join us virtually through YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Instagram. These links are available at our website. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected and even listen to past messages. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store or download from calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today has come to an end. We hope you join us next time to keep studying through the book of 1 Timothy right here on A Transforming Word. Oh,